You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right, well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. Welcome to North Valley. Those of you that might be new, my name's Ryan. I serve as the lead pastor of the church. Uh, My wife and I started the church with a great team about nine years ago, so we're coming up on our nine-year anniversary as a church, and we're excited about what God's doing in this new season. So great to be with you. We're, we're continuing on in the Gospel of John this morning, uh, but we themed it a new series called Venture. I think the Christian life is a risky life. Uh, when you look back and you think about all that God has done in your life, there's the, the Christian life is about a life of stepping out of fear and a life of stepping into faith and living in a zone of faith, a life of uh, being in the faith zone. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about having a a voice uh, in this generation. We're going to look at a key figure by the name of John the Baptist, a guy that maybe you've heard of before in the Bible. Um, And specifically, we're looking at how he was a voice. And my hope is, is that you realize that you have a key influence in this generation. Every man, woman, and child has a voice, and they need to be heard. Uh, Your voice matters. It matters to God, and it should matter to you. How many times have you been in a conversation before, and then you listen to somebody, and then you walk away, and you say, I should have said that or this, and you think back through, and you think, man, what was I thinking? Why didn't I speak up? How many of you guys remember uh, The Passion of the Christ? You saw that movie. I remember I was in that movie theater. It was packed out. It was a massive uh, awakening that happened when that movie came out by Mel Gibson. Uh, Kind of the American heart was rattled to see the power and the magnitude of Jesus Christ crucified and the forgiveness of sins offered and the brutality that uh, Jesus endured on the cross. I remember sitting in that movie theater and after the, the credits were ending, everybody was sitting there sobbing. And the Holy Spirit said to me, Ryan, get up and go preach. And I thought, I can't go preach right now. It's a movie theater. And sure enough, I get up and I start walking down there and fear paralyzed me. And I walked out that door. And I said to myself, never again will I ever do that again. If God puts something on my heart that strong, I'm not going to be silent. Satan wants to silence your voice. God wants to open your voice so that you have a, a, a word of encouragement, exhortation, a reproval, a reproof, a call to repentance to somebody and to someone. And so I'm here to remind you today about how your voice matters. Too often you're afraid to communicate your ideas your thoughts, uh, the things that are in your heart because your fear is being rejected perhaps. And today you you think, well, whatever I say is going to be censored or it's going to be uh, restricted or blocked out. And again, I'm here to tell you that it can go dangerously wrong in the Christian faith if you passively sit by and remain silent. Too many families suffer in silence. When somebody should speak up in the family and say, this is wrong, we need to get right. We got to get back to church. We got to reconcile our relationship. Uh, Too many families need a voice in the family. And every family member has a voice. 
You need to be a voice among your friends and your peers. People need to hear you speak up and say something. Oftentimes, God is raising up a heart to say something, to speak out your mind and to speak out your ideas, and you need to speak up among your friends. You need to speak up at work. God's word tells us that whatever we're to do, we're to do it with all our heart as for working for the Lord, not for men. You have a platform of influence in your workplace. Part of the Protestant Reformation with Luther challenging the church to say that the clergy, the power of the priesthood doesn't belong to the folks in robes. It belongs to every believer. And you have a platform in every area of influence of your life. And lastly, we got to be a voice to the lost. The Apostle Paul said, how, how are they going to uh, understand the gospel salv- message of the gospel salvation story without somebody speaking up? And so today I'm challenging you to venture to share your voice. I want to tell you, uh, we're going to look at uh, the greatest voices of all times. Uh, Jesus said that John the Baptist was perhaps the greatest man that ever lived. Uh, John the Baptist is we're going to find his story. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Uh, He is mentioned at least 89 different times. John had the special privilege of introducing Jesus to the nation of Israel. He also had the difficult task of preparing the nation to receive their Messiah. He, his message was real simple. It was repent. It was to turn away from sin and turn towards the Savior and to prove your repentance by being baptized and then be, lives being changed. Uh, he's kind of a wild man that lived off the land. He was a well-known preacher. His fame uh, was all throughout uh, Jerusalem, Judea. He traveled the countryside preaching and baptizing folks in the Jordan River. He drew in crowds of thousands. Everybody knew about John the Baptist. Uh, he, you might think of him as a rough-cut redneck with a heart for God. When you look at his life and look at his kind of mannerisms, you think he's kind of an odd person. He probably looked like one of those backwoods country folk you'd see up in Crown King or Prescott. You know, somebody back there that's a little uncensored, untamed, unconventional in many ways. For example, he ate bugs and honey for breakfast, dressed in animal skins, wore a big leather belt, had a long beard, long hair. But what was unique about John wasn't just his lifestyle. It was uh, even his uh, early uh, uh, beginning. The angel Gabriel uh, uh, said that he would be born. His father was Zechariah. He comes from a priestly line. His mom uh, was uh, uh, infertile, and God did a kind of a, he's a miracle baby. Uh, His calling was to prepare the way for the Lord. Uh, He was filled with the Holy Spirit uh, from inside uh, Elizabeth's womb. And so what we're going to find out today is we're going to look at John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28, And then I'm going to highlight to you, I will say, seven keys uh, to a man who perhaps one of the greatest voices of all times. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28, and it says this, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. That's the first thing he said. And they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? Elijah was a prophet of old. And he he responds, he says, I'm not. Are you a prophet? 
He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? Verse 23, key verse. He said, I am the voice. I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had sent from the Pharisees, they asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, and John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one, you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. I think there's seven keys to being a voice in our generation. Number one is identity. John knew his identity. He was very, very clear. He said, I'm not Elijah. I'm not some prophet. I'm not the Christ. I'm a voice. You need to know your identity of who you are and what God's called you to do in life. Uh, Jesus is called the Word. Uh, In the beginning of John's gospel, John the Baptist is called the voice. A voice is a voice. Uh, It carries words with it. The Bible tells us that there is the power of life and death in the tongue. You are a messenger. Your life, you have a message. Every single one of you, you are unique, created by God, designed for his purpose, for his plans. You have a unique handprint. You have a unique fingerprint. You have a unique footprint. And you have a unique voice print. God has created you with a uniqueness, a divine design to have an eternal impact on people. Uh, You need to know you are a voice. Some of you are confused perhaps as to who you are. Perhaps this is the most confused generation about identity. Don't really understand who they are. And as Christians, our job is is to ground ourselves in the authority of Scripture and say, who do you say I am? Let me remind you of who you are. The Bible says that you're God's child. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you're his friend. You're a saint. You've been adopted into God's family. You've been given direct access to God. You're a citizen of heaven. You're the light of the world. You've been anointed and appointed to share and show the love of Jesus Christ. You're a witness to the world. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good, help me out, works. That's you. Once you understand your identity, I believe that you will better determine your activity in life. Um, Identity always precedes activity. When you know who you are, you can know what to do. Um, If you want to be a voice in this generation, number two, you need to understand your activity in life. John the Baptist had a very uh, uh, clear focus. He was a a voice. He was very active in preaching and teaching, baptizing folks. Uh, God's given you a voice. Know who you are. Number two, be active in doing something that God's created you to be good at. What do you get paid for? What do people say you're good at? These are the things that you should be active in. Bringing, doing good for other people it can bring glory to God. doesn't matter what it is. If it's selling insurance or uh, in any form or, and I have to mention just insurance, but 
It could be anything. Be active. Oftentimes, the indicator of uh, our activity uh, will determine a little bit more about who we are. I remember sitting on the back porch one day and asking God, God, what do you want me to do? I was graduating college, and I, I didn't hear an audible voice, but it was just as clear as one. And the Lord said, Ryan, your purpose in life is to help other people understand and respond to the gospel message. And so I dedicated my whole life to that, that little phrase, helping others understand and respond to the gospel message. My, my intuition is, is that every single one of you, there is some kind of impression upon your heart and your soul and your mind that God's saying, I want you to do this. I want you, this general category, to, to lean into this. Uh, John the Baptist was very active and uh, busy doing God's work. And for you, you need to be busy doing things that bring glory to God. It could be simple uh, being a witness at your work or being busy as a great parent at home or being busy serving the Lord in the church or in the community. You need to be active, not inactive. Folks that retire and do nothing are the folks that die fast. New York's Times study uh, profiled all these executives that were highly productive individuals, and when they retired and did nothing, and they were very inactive, they died really quick. God's created you for activity, not inactivity. While good works won't get you to heaven, the Bible's clear at that, good works might just help your neighbors to get there. Uh, Jesus said this, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. In other words, what Jesus was saying is when you do good work and you're very active, it brings glory to God. So I want to challenge you to be a voice in this generation. You need to be active. You need to serve. And by the way, the entire unchurched, unchristian world applauds, supports, finances, and cheers on churches and Christians that do good work, feeding the poor, uh, building houses and homes for the, the needy. It is, uh, the world loves good works. The world doesn't necessarily love good news about Jesus, but they love good works. So therefore, our good works, our activity as a Christian are so important that we need to remember the words of Jesus uh, that we're to let our light shine so that the people around us can say, wow, and give glory to the Father in heaven. So whatever you do, do it with all your heart as for working for the Lord. Would you show up on Monday and say, my activity is a reflection of my identity. I want to do good work. The Bible says, the Apostle Paul says, uh, when, whatever you do, do it with all your heart is for working for the Lord, not for men. I wrote that uh, on a life jacket when I was a river guide, Colossians 3.23, and I would row down the river, and it was a grind. We did an a.m. and a p.m., and we did it every day, and the owner of the company came up to me and said, Colossians 3.23, that's my life first. I said, well, I thought it was a good one. He said, good. I'm glad you got it on there. Keeps everything in focus, that your work is something that you do unto God. God's hardwired you to make a difference, and this is why we push hard at this church that we need to get out and go do things. We need to be active in Mexico. We need to be active on the Navajo Nation. We need to be active in the community. We've launched CARES teams to serve folks in, in great need. And 
you as a Christian need to be very, very active. Your voice matters, but sometimes we know, sometimes our actions speak louder than words. So many times people want to uh, not just hear your, your lip service, they want to see your life service. Number three, how do we be a voice in this generation? Number three, we need to be a deeply uh, dependent upon the Holy Spirit. John was that. His life was marked with the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not a, some kind of force. He is a person. He perhaps is a, he's a person and he is God. He is perhaps a, the most active person in your life. Um, the Holy Spirit is the, uh, the teacher. And that when I'm preaching and teaching, the Holy Spirit's just zooming all around here right now, trying to awaken your mind to enlighten you to say, there's a divine word in that. Uh, he reminds us, oh, I thought about that person. What is the Holy Spirit doing? Trying to remind you. And then you can create life change and say, Lord, would you do something about this issue? I just came to my mind. And it would be even better, perhaps, if you'd write it down. I've been thinking lately, man, I, I need to be more specific in my prayers so I can give more glory to God and, and see that, man, he's really answering these prayers that are happening. The Holy Spirit is uh, Mark, the, John the Baptist's life. The scripture says that he was filled with the Spirit while still inside his mother's womb. Luke chapter 1, verse 15. We need a desire for the Holy Spirit in our lives. He convicts. He counsels. You need a counselor? Lean into the Holy Spirit. Uh, he guides and he provides. He gives spiritual gifts so that we can be active and fulfilled and fruitful in our work. When we lack the gifts or the skills that we need, we can call upon the power of the Holy Spirit and say, would you help me to accomplish this challenge, this task I'm about to do? Number uh, four, I would say we need to be uh, deeply, uh, biblically balanced. Biblically balanced. Uh, recently, I looked at my uh, wife's uh, truck and I noticed, I said to her, sweetie, your tires have, they're just so worn out. Have you had these things balanced? And she said, no. I said, well, the tires are basically ruined. We need to get new tires. We wore them out and we didn't balance them enough. And this can happen in the Christian life. Uh, when you're not really balanced enough in scripture, you don't have enough Bible in your life. The Bible is like a good diet. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, you need Bible in your life. And what happens is when we're trying to be a voice to people, oftentimes we forget to give any scripture credit or sourcing or citation because we don't really know. So we popularize uh, sayings and statements that are not even biblical. And so what people need more than anything is they need truth. A truth for everyday life. And if we want to be a voice, we need to remember the scriptures. John the Baptist knew the scriptures. John stated that he was a voice in the wilderness, quoting from the scriptures. It was a direct fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 40 with reflections of Malachi 3. John knew the scriptures. Every strong uh, Christian leader is sourced, steeped, and soaked in scripture. 
If you cut them, they bleed Bible. They know the Bible. Um, this has always been my strongest uh, uh, ambition to say, if I can tell people the Bible, then I know there's authority in the scripture, and I stand behind that. For you as an individual, you have to challenge people uh, with a voice of deeply saturated truth. The challenge is, is that we are in a deeply post-truth culture where people don't care about the truth, but you still as a believer need to know it. So how do you get the truth of God's word into the lives of other people if nobody cares about truth and truth is irrelevant and we care in our world perhaps far more about personal feelings and personal ideas? Um, I would say it means this, is that we need to realize that we need to be number five, relationally connected. People are, are, are more apt to receive truth if there's a relationship. And this is exactly what Jesus did. He modeled this perfectly. When he spent time with folks that were far from God, he was relationally connected, but he always gave truth. How many times have you ever seen, uh, maybe in your own experience, people that are, they're, they got, they're so strong on biblical knowledge, but they're so weak in the area of social connectivity. Um, it's hard to be around those people. Uh, Jesus wasn't like that. Uh, John the Baptist actually wasn't like that. He was an awkward, weird guy in many ways uh, for many but he actually had a very strong relational trust with his disciples, the folks that were following him. In fact, he talked about Jesus being the son of God. And then it says in the scripture that John's uh, disciples said, well, if he's the son of God, John, we're leaving you and we're going to follow Jesus. And nowhere in scripture does John say, no, stop doing that. He has a deep level of relational trust and love for his disciples and says, yeah, I affirm it. Absolutely. Because I'm just a voice in the desert trying to reach as many people as I can. You found Jesus, you're good, you, you keep going. You need to be relationally connected and deeply saturated with truth. I wanna challenge you and encourage you uh, to realize the importance of being relationally connected. Jesus as well was deeply relationally connected. He had uh, God the Father God, uh, and the, the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is in the Trinity, perfect relationship. Uh, perfect relationship, relationally connected. Our God is relationally connected. And then we see Jesus when he comes to earth and he has relationships with disciples. And then we see Jesus have deep relationships even with sinners, tax collectors, uh, gluttons, and drunkards. And so I think my concern is, I've said it uh, before here for this church, is because this is a church that teaches a lot of Bible is that if we get biblically uh, off balance and we're all Bible and no relationships, we can easily drift into holy huddles and uh, kind of miss the opportunity to see God's grace work in the lives of those that are perhaps far from God. Um, I think of the reality is that I think that the older that you get in the Christian faith, the less contact you tend to have with unchurched people. Let me say that again. The older you get in your Christian faith, perhaps the less contact with unchurched people that actually happen in your life. Now is the time when you should say, I love God 
I love my country, I will be a voice. I need more contact with more people. We preachers, church leaders, can't do it on our own. The whole world needs Jesus Christ. You are a voice, and you're in the desert. (laughs) You need to be a voice in the desert. It's important as a Christian to connect with those outside the Christian faith. Uh, As we do, we increase our opportunity to share and show the love of Christ around us. This can be as simple as finding a hobby that you enjoy and inviting others, perhaps from a different faith or no no faith at all, or at least as simple as on a Sunday morning when you see folks that you don't know, be super friendly and say, hey, how long you been coming? Worst thing you can say is, hey, is this your first time? And the person's like, no, I've been here for two years. You never noticed me. I want you to be uh, deeply saturated in scripture as we see John the Baptist is. And I want to see you deeply relationally connected to people. Why is that? Well, Jesus said that the two greatest commandments in all the scripture were to love God and then to love neighbor. And the, the greatest commandments, love God, love neighbor, the one thing that connects them two together is love. Love God, love neighbor. So our life should be marked with love, not hatred. Um, John, the Apostle John, would go on further to say basically that if you are a Christian and you do not have love for your brother, you are not a Christian. He went so far to say, if you hate people in general, then the love of God's not in you. So my point is, in saying this, is if we want to be a voice, like follow in the footsteps John the Baptist, Jesus says, is perhaps one of the greatest of all. And we need to be biblically balanced. We need to be relationally connected. Uh, Research says that about 87% of the valleys without a church home. 87% of the valleys without a church home. And if we're relationally connected to people outside of the church, then they're more apt to open their ears to the truth. So I'm going to challenge you to do that. What I find also interesting about this uh, idea of truth and the need for truth is that research shows that basically uh, what is the churches that are growing, a lot of the churches that are growing right now are the churches that are actually teaching the scriptures. According to a Gallup poll, the, the top two reasons why people are choosing a church today are number one, that sermons that teach about the Bible. Because in a post-truth culture, there's plenty of people that have abandoned truth, and then everybody else is saying, wait a second, truth is really good. I need truth in my life. One of the, the number one determiner why people are choosing to be a part of a church is the preaching and teaching has to do with the Bible. And number two is that the sermons connect to everyday life, that you could use it on Monday. So what does that mean for you? I'll tell you what that means for you that you need to be like me in that. I'm going to teach the Bible, so you talk about the Bible. I'm going to connect the truth, the Bible, to everyday life, so when you show up on Monday, you connect the truth of, of the scriptures to everyday living. Hey, can I tell you about how God's been working in my life? You know, the scripture tells me this. What do you believe in now? Does that really mean something to you? So... We need a voice, ladies and gentlemen. 
Number six, I'd say with John the Baptist, what's really cool is that he's bold in speech. You need to be bold. You always need to be bold. You always need to be brave. One of my greatest regrets was walking out of that movie theater that day. I think I'll get to heaven and I'll be like, Lord, I'm sorry. He'll say, I've done forgiven you about that. But be bold in speech. As a Christian and as a leader, there's times when you have to speak up and be bold, not fearing the consequences. This is what ultimately happened to John the Baptist, and it cost him his life. John the Baptist spoke out against a powerful man by the name of Herod Antipas, who was sleeping with his sister-in-law. And John told him, it's unlawful, you shouldn't be doing that. He's imprisoned, and later he's beheaded. That's where bold can get you. It can get you in deep trouble. We're not there yet as a country. Uh, Perhaps we're persecuted in some ways as being a Christian, but not to the levels that we saw in the first century or two. Throughout church history, there's been boldness in each and every generation, though, and it's fueled the flames of our faith. I think of the African church father of the ancient church, Tertullian. He said that the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. I think that you and I need a kind of an old school boldness of speech. And here's what I see today. I see boldness in speech when it comes to politics. Talking about presidents and talking about different people. But what about a boldness in speech about talking about our king? Jesus. What if there could be a transfer in our boldness about what we think about our country? Our patriotism, which by the way, that's all important. However, we have a higher allegiance. We are citizens of heaven. First, Jesus is our king. So what if we could transfer the boldness of the believer from politics to faith? What's going to save people eternally is not our political views. It's a Christian view. Amen? So, the frustrating thing is, is I see what I call keyboard courage happening all the time. Folks that I know that are very timid and shy when you meet them in person, and then they get on a computer, and all of a sudden you're like, who is this person? They tweet, they type, they post, and it creates a major firestorm. And I'm I'm sure, right, God can use all sorts of wild posts like that. But I'm telling you, that's not the pathway to greatness to have a voice in this generation. The voice of this generation says, I'm a child of God. I'm a friend of Christ. I want to be busy doing his work, whatever he has me doing. I I just want to do his work. I want to be, uh, I want to be guided by the Holy Spirit. I want to be biblically balanced. And I want to be deeply relationally connected to all sorts of people. We need more than a keyboard courage. What we need to do is we need to uh, highlight and talk about our King Jesus far more. Here's what we've learned over the last few weeks in the Gospel of John. Listen to, to Jesus and who he is. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus was there uh, when he spoke the world into existence. In fact, it was from his word that it came from. Let there be light and there was light. 
He is fully God. He is fully man. He eternally existed. He's king. He's creator. He's the son of God. And in him there is life. He is the light of the world. He is the word that is the logos, the ultimate logic, ultimate reason, ultimate revelation. He is Jesus our Lord. Amen? He's worth talking about. He's worth us boldly communicating about. Sharing our testimony is what is so important. You have a testimony. Don't be afraid to share it. Number seven, John had humility. He had a great level of humility. Lots and lots of humility is needed in today's culture. Uh, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Let me say that again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Uh, John the Baptist did that. The problem today is pride as it was back then. We do the opposite. We think far too much of ourselves. In fact, research says that uh, nobody really is thinking about you, unfortunately, Um, because everybody's too busy thinking about themselves. 95% of your time thinking is about yourself. We think about ourselves all the time. That's not humility. That's uh, ego. That's pride. That's self-infatuation. Another research group stated that roughly 80% of all of our conversations that the average person has is about themselves. This is why you don't like going out with certain kinds of folks because when you get to the table and all they do is talk about themselves, you're like, that was good. I listened a lot, but... I said two words. Humility is attractive. Humility is powerful. Uh, John the Baptist was incredibly humble. See, our default network in our brains is a me-first mentality. This is why we have the social media phenomenon going on, because there's a social science behind it. And so, therefore, you have the selfie I remember uh, seeing not too long ago just a, uh, a young teenager just snapping a photo after photo after photo. And I'm thinking, man, is that a movie star? Should I meet that person? Why is that? Well, there's a social science. We love ourselves. We think about ourselves. 95% of the time, we think about ourselves. John was humble. You know, he said uh, in verse 27... He said, uh, there's one coming after me who the strap of his sandal, I'm not worthy to untie. And then Jesus turns around and says later, he says, Jesus spoke up about John the Baptist and said, John is perhaps the greatest who have ever lived. I want more humility in my life. And the second we say we're humble, then we're not really being humble. John also said, he must increase and I must decrease. I think what we need in life is a great level more of humility in our life. And we see it modeled in the person of John the Baptist and most perfectly in the person and the work of Jesus Christ who humbled himself and became a servant and gave his life as a ransom for many. And so you, my friends, is what I have to say is you're greatly needed in this generation, every man, every woman, every child to be a voice in the desert in this great valley that is growing and growing, and your time is now. Your time is now. And you have a unique voice print so that when you leave, people can remember your words. 
your thoughts, your ideas. That's your voice. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would take this word and apply it to ourselves, see it used in a great way. I pray that for every man, woman, and child and, uh, would take this word and say, you say, Lord, my voice matters. It's time to speak up. I pray that we would make much of you and think far less of ourselves for your name and your fame. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, well, I want to, in light of today's message and kind of the cool timing of what's going on in our church, I want to share with you a testimony. So please welcome up Trevor. He's our new student minister. And uh, give him a big North Valley warm welcome. Thank you, Josh. So Trevor, you're joining our team. I'm so excited. Oh, let me grab that, Josh, because actually I got, I got my notes in there. <laughs> so Trevor, you're joining our team, and uh, I'm excited. Uh, why don't you do this? Why don't you share with everybody? Um, you're going to be help, helping out with the student ministries in a part-time basis, uh, but we're pumped to have you. Tell us about your upbringing as a kid. Tell us your story. Sure. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Um, my name is Trevor Santor. I grew up here in Glendale, Arizona. I went to Ironwood High School, and um, as far as my story goes, um, I grew up playing the game of baseball, and uh, the game of baseball helped me through my journey uh, to come to know the Lord, and um, so that's part of where I can lead into my testimony. Yeah. Um, How you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I grew up going to a Catholic church with both parents. And uh, I had a great family, and uh, that's, I loved them very much. And I remember specifically one night, um, I was uh, in my house, and my dad was on a vacation. And um, I remember going to my parents' room, and my, my mom was in the closet, and she was packing her clothes and putting everything in two suitcases. And I just was 12 years old at the time, thinking, what's, what's happening right now? And... Um, come to find out that she was packing up to leave. And um, at 12 years old, I, I didn't know what to think at that time. And um, my dad came home later that week and he brought me and my older brother, Hunter, to the table in the kitchen. And he said, boys, I need to tell you something. He said, um, your mother's on drugs and she's been having an affair. And um, so at 12 years old, that was a crushing moment for me, um, realizing my parents were about to go through a divorce. And uh, that was the first time my heart had broken. Um, and uh, I really held on to the game of baseball at that time. And I was, I was pretty good at it. I was able to, to play. And I was an outfielder most of the time. And um, that's what I put my identity in. Whenever I was in a school, in a classroom for the first time, I stood up. Hi, I'm Trevor. I, I'm a baseball player, you know. And... Uh, that came to a, a crushing halt uh, through my high school and c- college experience. And um, I kind of went down that same road that my mother had been and was introduced to chewing tobacco and alcohol and marijuana and all those things. And in high school, I was living that lifestyle that I was listening to and music and seeing on television. And um, it was hard for a single parent to to train me up in the ways of God. And so we had stopped going to church and all that. And um, so all through high school, I was battling that um, and and some depression and trying to cover that and fill that void with those substances. And um, I still chased my dream, though. I wanted to play professional baseball. 
And um, having that vision uh, did keep me uh, more in line than if I had not had a dream like that. And uh, I ended up going to Grand Canyon University, uh, walked on and made the team and uh, playing left field for a majority of that first season. And um, I remember specifically somebody on the team knelt down and was praying with a couple teammates. Hmm. And that was a moment that I was very intrigued by. And I, I said, I, I want to know who his God is. Who is he praying to like that, to where he's kneeling down like that? And so I began asking Tyler questions about who Jesus is. And uh, he started to plant seeds, plant seeds. And um, ended up hurting my back after my sophomore year at Grand Canyon. And uh, I was uh, bedridden. Um, was this a story where you were going for a ball out in the outfield? Yeah, so Grand Canyon, I was, um, after my injury, I was brought into the coach's um, uh, office. He looked me in the eyes. He told me that uh, he's not going to ask me to come back next year. Uh, So as a baseball player, my identity was crushed again, and so I had to look for a new school. And uh, I was on my way to uh, my work job during that summer, and I passed by Arizona Christian University, uh, didn't even know the school existed, and uh, they had a beautiful baseball field, and I was uh, invited to try out, and it was the very first fall game of the season, and uh, I was playing center field and waiting for that moment to, to show my skills, and uh, I was playing center, and uh, there wasn't a ball hit to me all game until about the fifth inning, and uh, that ball was hit, and I was off to the races to make the catch. And it was in deep right center field, and I'm running full speed, full speed, full speed. I make the catch over my shoulder, and then the very next step I take, bam, I collided with the brick wall. Uh, There was no pads, uh, just brick. And the next moment I was just laying there, blood rushing from my face, blood rushing from my knee, and uh, the whole team ran out, surrounded me, and uh, students from the school heard the collision, and they're asking, what's his name, what's his name? And they're praying over me. And it was a moment that um, I remember very vividly. It was just a moment, even though I was in excruciating pain, there was a moment of peace. And the best way I can explain it is as if God was telling me, everything is going to be okay. Just put your trust in me. And uh, I did. I I surrendered to his will. And my identity of being a baseball player was just on shaky ground. And uh, my identity, I was going to put my trust in Jesus. And... uh, I was at a great environment, surrounded by Christians who were saying, hey, man, I'm praying for you. And professors from the school visiting me in the hospital, say, and they're praying with me. Yeah. And so I had surgery that night to put together my kneecap. I busted in two pieces, and uh, that was kind of my transformation uh, at ACU, where I'm studying the Bible, learning about Jesus, putting my faith in him, going to chapel service twice a week and just crying. Mm-hmm. Just uh, my, my heart was ready for Jesus. You know, I think one of the things that's real important for you all to think about is there's probably a life event that's happened in your life that perhaps is tragic or was really challenging, incredibly hard, but it's oftentimes those events that become almost major springboards for a message that God wants you to share, because I know that event changed your life. Literally, you hit a brick wall, a pun intended, And, and you hit that brick wall, and that becomes a major message in life, perhaps for generations to uh, forward, um, that 
uh, he will tell uh, others, and then others will tell others. And his identity was fully in baseball. He hits a brick wall. But in that, he finds and, and connects with Jesus at the greatest level. So I just want to point that out. What, in closing out, kind of what would you say? Um, well, tell me about the ministries that you've been a part of a little bit, and then what you look forward to here at North Valley. Absolutely. So yeah, a specific prayer I made on a baseball field was that I wanted to see the game of baseball through God's eyes. And so he started to deliver that and give me just metaphors, just like Jesus taught parables with fishermen and tax collectors. I wanted to be able to connect with baseball players. And so one of my ministries is that, is connecting with baseball players and sharing the gospel with them in a way that they understand. Uh, I also just moved here from Illinois. I was there for five years. I was a college baseball coach, but I was also an associate pastor where we built sports ministries. So using sport to share the gospel as well. And I've also been part of high school ministry before. Uh, But yeah, ever since college in that moment, uh, there's been a theme and it's been impact people who can then impact the world. And he he said that phrase, that's his, that's his life, like purpose statement. I asked him with the leaders that I spend time with, I said, what's your purpose statement? He's like, and he said it so fast. I said, all right, we're, we're with the right guy right here. So tell us your life, your purpose statement again is? Impact people, impact the world. So that's what you're going to see out of him. Impact people, help impact the world. Isn't that cool? So, yeah. So I I love this guy because when I was spending time with him, I went home and I told Leslie, I said, Leslie, he reminds me of the fire and the love for Jesus that I had when I came to faith in Christ. I I didn't hit a brick wall, but I I hit a dead end road. And I knew it, it, this was not the road I needed to go down. And I knew that Lord was saying, get out of here. Get, leave this life. Follow me. And I see this in Trevor, and I think he's going to be an awesome fit for our church. So what do you look forward to in the future here at the church? Yeah, I just, I just know there's a broken world out there, and uh, I just want to equip uh, students to be able to handle those uh, challenges and temptations and those things that can be stumbling blocks and uh, I know we could do that here to, to make leaders who can then impact the world. That's cool. Let's give him a big round of applause. <laughs> two, two, two things about him real quick. He's got a book out. The book is, what's the book called? Baseball Genesis. Baseball Genesis. So I don't know if you brought some copies, but if you didn't, bring them back, and then we'll have them available in our Connect Corner and back there. And then the other thing is I have one question for you before I pray for you, because I know everybody wants to know, did you catch the ball? Yes, I did. (laughs) All right, let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, thank you for Trevor. Um, He's a voice. He's a voice in this generation. And we're grateful for that. Lord, we pray that we would come together uh, through the person and the work of Jesus Christ and we'd unite and we'd be a voice all together. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus and thank you for men and women, and young people that are like Trevor. They're, they're going after you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Hey, uh, before I uh, get off the stage, I want to say thank you to those of you that are giving financially. I think of another family that's making a big difference uh, through the church and kind of extended their missions into Mexico. Um, we have a, a young girl that was recently baptized in our church. And... Uh, Her name is Danica, 
and the Telmontes, uh, they were a part of our church, and actually it was on a mission trip in Mexico building a house. This family kind of breaks down in prayer and, in, and, and with tears, and they say to us, we really feel like God's doing something special in our hearts down here, and we may need to go do uh, ministry and mission down in Mexico for the rest of our lives. And uh, they packed up, and, and Leslie and I had the chance to pray for them just a couple of weeks ago, uh, right there in the back of this chapel, and commissioned them out. And so here's what I want to say. When you give, when you, when you serve, it makes a big difference, no matter what amount or how much time or whatever. It does make a big difference, and it encourages, it, expi- it, it inspires, and exhorts uh, our church to move forward. So thank you for your giving. Um, those of you that uh, haven't yet given and you want to start uh, giving and being a part of what we're doing at the church, there's four different ways you can give. There's envelopes up front. There's a giving box in the back. You can give online like my wife and I, out of sight, out of mind. We just know we automate whatever is super important and we do that. So I want to encourage you and say thank you for your giving and your faithfulness because together we're making a great difference. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.